Hey everyone, thanks for joining me. I hope your weekend is going well. I do not have a rant prepared today because I've just been tied up in trying to finish my book about uh, Russiagate and the Ukraine war. And so I'm not as up on the news this week as I usually try to be. Um, I know that just today there was a, a bombing in Russia at a cafe in St. Petersburg that killed a Russian military blogger. And um, the speculation obviously will turn to, you know, Ukrainian intelligence having also been behind uh, the uh, attack that killed the daughter of Alexander Dugan. But I haven't followed it too closely. And, you know, these are kind of things that happen in this in this war, a war that seems um, like there's, no signs that I can see of it slowing down. One one headline that caught my mind that my my eye recently was when Mark Milley, the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he said that unless the U.S. can win in Ukraine, let me find the headline. He said that unless the U.S. can win in Ukraine, that the Pentagon budget will likely have to double. Um, this is the headline. It's from uh, military.com. Uh, it's a military news website. Not stopping Russia and Ukraine would force doubling of U.S. defense budget, Milley says. So basically, um, if we don't win this proxy war now, then we're going to have to massively increase our future defense budgets uh, to the point of doubling it. Um, this is what he said. He said, if the rules-based order, which is in its 80th year, if that goes out the window, then be very careful We'll be doubling our defense budgets at that point because that will introduce not an era of great power competition. That'll begin an era of great power conflict, and that'll be extraordinarily dangerous for the whole world. So basically, unless we spend tens of billions of dollars now on a proxy war in Ukraine, we'll have to be spending double everything we're spending now in the future, which I thought was uh, a very telling comment from from Millie. So beyond that, um, I uh, don't have much to say except to, today's the day, uh, the birthday of one of my favorite artists, Marvin Gaye. And let's listen to a bit of him performing one of his biggest songs uh, live, uh, What's Going On. Anyway, uh, I love that song, and um, he would have turned 84 years old today. Uh, and uh, that album, What's Going On from 1972, it's incredible listening to that and just seeing how more than 50 years later, it's still so relevant to everything we're going through today. He talks about uh, war, class divides, uh, police brutality, the threat of a nuclear holocaust uh threats to the environment amazing album uh musically and thematically um okay let's take some calls cr hey hey, hey oh man marvin gay one of my all-time favorite I, I would you could definitely make an argument it'll definitely at least in my family that the best male singer of, of all time, or at least the 20th century, we can. Yeah. I agree. I agree. It's, just, it's so much of his, 
and, and the, the first thing that you know everybody goes to what's going on and the first thing mm -hmm. that always pops in my head is inner city blues because mm -hmm. that's the one that's got the you know what i mean some of those lyrics are so fucking prescient today yeah you know what i mean uh, yep. um uh what's the uh um uh yeah you know just like you know uh, uh inflation no chance to increase finance that's right Bills pack up sky high send that boy off to die exactly and exactly. you, you hear those things you're like man that resonates today like with yeah. that shit that we see that's going on uh, around us you know and and just that that yeah it's that to me i guess that like everyone that you know what's going on obviously is the the, the obvious choice but inner city blues i know something about those lyrics and that well that you know just even hearing you recite the lyrics it's you know what comes to me mind is it's like that's not even your typical lyric where there's a lot of like words that fill the stanza right whatever the term I, I, like i'm not so versed in like music terminology but i'm going to try to do it but like you know even he just he's only saying a couple it's very uh it's very minimal in terms of how many words he's even filling in the in the line like bills pile up sky, bills pile up sky high send that boy off to that like that, that's an entire that's an entire series of lines it's not even it's not even very like verbose but it's it's so powerful and poignant so yeah i, I love that song and the, yeah, the word the words words per measure would yeah be the, the there we the, go the musical yeah I've, I've been playing guitar for 26 years so <laughs> Yeah, a little bit of a music nerd. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, to me, I just, I, I, yeah, I definitely do find that. Yeah, in a world of, of kind of wordy mumble rap today, sometimes just being able to say less, you know, more with less. You know what I mean? Look and look how well it stood up. I and, agree. You know, I look, agree. And and, uh, um, and it wasn't like he was just like making shit up at the time. He was being very uh, conscious and observational about the state of uh, of, of society. And the last thing I'll say, and I'll get out of the way, is. Is, isn't that sad that it's so connects today mm -hmm. that the, 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 the inequities and the, the, uh, you know, the, the inequalities and the disasters that were going on in the world in his time yep. really haven't really left us that much, have they? No, 50 years later. I mean, so uh, you know, 51 years ago was what's going on. It's when it came out. Actually, I think it came out, 50, it came out, Pretty sure it came out in May of 1972, so that'd be 51 years ago next month. And um, yes, Vietnam was still going on then, and um, uh, and and so you know, similar thing, similar thing today, where you know our our policies send young kids off to die in war, and that's that same militarism, that same hegemony that was driving Vietnam is very much alive today, and and same with the and then the 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 um, the situation at home with in, with inequality and police brutality, all the things he was he was writing about, totally still resident today. And Make um, holler, throw yeah. up both my hands. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> yeah. an amazing. Album. And also, and by the way, what also makes that album so revolutionary, on top of just the fact that it's a, it's you know politically it's revolutionary. No one really had done a thematic album like that, like Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. That was there was a theme to it, but in terms of, in terms of like. A, a concept album with like this kind of, you know, like a, like this kind of coherent theme. It hadn't really been done before. And he had to yeah, fight. Yeah, like to Tommy it. or something like that. Kind of like from like the who, and right. those things. but that's very fantastical. And like, this yeah. is more grounded in. in yeah. This is the real world. Yeah. 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 And he had to fight to put it out. Motown didn't want to release it and he had to really. Interesting. I didn't know fight that. For it. Oh yeah. No, they wanted him to keep singing, you know, like heard it through the grapevine and ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no mountain high enough. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, and why not? This that was said been doing so well for Motown. 
mm-hmm. for such a long period of time. And, you know, Smokey and, and, and the guys and all that there, uh, um, Barry Gordy and all, you know, they had such a, a grip on them too as well. It's actually surprising, you know, that shows just how much of a singular talent and power that he was, that he was, because they were, you know, you know how notorious Motown and those guys were for keeping their artists under lock and like, no, you're going to, you're going to dress like this. You're going to go to dance classes. You're, you know what I mean? This is your image, you know? Uh, uh, so yeah, that's hats off to him that he was able to uh, <laughs> escape their iron grip. Mm. Mm. Uh, thanks PR for the call. Good to hear from you. Cindy, to you, sir. All right, Nick. Hey, Aaron. Hi there. Hey, uh, so I had an incident earlier today and you seem like uh, as good as any a person to to talk to you about it just because I wanted your personal take and advice on something, which is, um, so to make a long story short, I guess, uh, a friend of mine posted on Facebook uh, clips of the French protests with, you know, all the burning buildings and whatnot and kind of tagged me and some other kind of, you know, leftist friend and asked for their take on it. And kind of as a joke, sarcastically, I replied that, um, I think uh, Americans should burn down an entire city every time the government moves even one tiny step towards further privatization. And uh, I said it as a joke, and uh, which, you know, I don't literally mean, but like, you know, people should do something about that that falls outside the range of acceptable human behavior at this point. But um, Facebook flagged it for uh, going against community standards and, you know, quote unquote, inciting violence. And, um, of course, I went through the whole appeals process to be able to say, you know, jokes are protected speech, so go fuck yourself. But, uh, of course, the whole appeal process led to a uh, login landing page that spun, uh, you know, interminably, and I gave up. But I guess my question is, with the whole, the the way I see it, uh, the whole kind of takeover of the Internet to either, like, censor it or flood it with, like, uh, generative text is to kind of make it also devoid of, you know, sincere human interaction and presence. And it's going to ultimately become this entity that sucks like cable television and corporate newspapers still do that. I think the more it moves in that direction, less people are going to be inclined to use it. So I guess my question is immediately following something like that. Do I just delete my Facebook so they can't profit off my data anymore? Do I, or do I stay on it and keep saying stuff? Uh, that that they would disagree with like what's the actual move like stay on the platform and keep like pressing the the buttons and going in like right up to the edge of what they'll allow me or just just ditch them for even doing it to me in the first place well that's a very personal choice i i can't give you advice there but what i can say is whenever i've been like suspended from facebook for whatever reason like what, the, the last time it happened to me was i wrote an article called al-qaeda is on our side like how the U.S. waged a, a dirty war in Syria or something. But because the first part of it was called how Al-Qaeda is on our side, that got suspended because it looked like it, it was like went against a rule of somehow like promoting Al-Qaeda. The problem is that was a direct – I was that title, Al-Qaeda is on our side, that was a direct quote of Jake Sullivan, who's now the National Security Advisor, in an email he wrote to Hillary Clinton saying that in Syria, Al-Qaeda is on our side. So, um, you know – I mean, I'm, I'm not a big Facebook user, but I at the same time, like not being able to use it for a while, I thought was a real blessing. So that's how I, personally I would take any kind of Facebook uh, 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 
Facebook like moratorium or, or timeout as a blessing and, and then use it when you want to. Uh, that's, that's, that's how I use it. But for well, you, they it's a very personal choice. They didn't yeah. suspend me. They just kind of annoyed me to a, a degree that I, I really didn't have the patience for. So now I'm like, yeah. I might be scorched earth on it, but uh, I just, you know, I wasn't sure if it was actually more important to just like still be the guy saying that stuff online. I mean, you know, look, I, I, but this is the problem that, you know, like, like, like in my case, they, like the problem is they, um, like the situation that they put me in is like, so if I quit Facebook, then I can't keep up with like my mom posting her latest drawings. You know what I mean? So that's why it's a very personal choice. Um, I uh, certainly people who leave Facebook are healthier for it. I, I think that's <laughs> certified, but uh, you know, it, it's a very personal choice. Um, and I had two very quick questions. Uh, first off, is your book going to be an audiobook format? Yes, for sure. Yes, Amazing. Sir. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for, uh, yeah, I, I, I need to drive places and walk my dog. I no, I hear you. I, 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 I've recent, only recently discovered audiobooks, and I, they're so efficient. And um, yeah, so. Um, and yeah. uh, the other thing that just kind of blew my mind, I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty sure the algorithm didn't show me this because I follow you, but like bafflingly there seemed to be like, you know, the guy that's the, the star of you was actually touting your father's book. And I was like, do, do the celebrities know that they're like tacitly endorsing the the, the Russia guy, like <laughs> by proxy? Well, first of all, what is you? Like, what is that? Oh, it's a show on Netflix okay. about a sociopath, but the okay. the star of it, who's like the you know a hunky guy that came over from Gossip Girl, was okay. on social media touting your father's book, which I thought was genuinely cool. Yeah, but great. at the same time, I was like. Boy, you, you know the backlash that this guy's gonna get from the well, gatekeepers. Yeah. Well, listen. You know the the cool thing is uh, for both me and my dad is that our work has nothing to do with each other. Um, so anybody endorsing my dad is not tacitly endorsing me because because what my dad does has nothing to do with me, and, and, and same with with what I do. Um, what's cool about his work, I think, is that it reaches people who you know who either aren't into politics or who even hate the politics of someone like myself and because his work is about, you know, trauma and addiction and all those things, those, those, those issues transcend politics. And, um, so I, you know, I'm very diligent about keeping our work totally separate and, and it, cause it, cause it has nothing to do with mine. So there is no actual tacit endorsement of me there. And, um, it's better that way for everybody. Not that I'm, uh, I guess I just, uh, the way that I usually th see these things playing out is that it's like, you know, a couple steps into like a, a weird, predictable firing squad because anything. Oh, that, yeah. yeah. You know what? Listen, there are people like some of, some of my most dedicated trolls uh, rather again, again, like rather than try to write an article, just refuting something they didn't agree with me on, which they never, ever do. Like not one. Sometimes I'll see some of them like literally tag uh, my dad's Twitter account. And try to get like you know like you know uh, and try to like basically it's like they're basically, they're basically, so that he sends you to time out yeah, exactly like they're basically trying to be like tattletales like like running to my uh, you know but what's funny is like my dad doesn't use Twitter like he, he doesn't even see it and even if he did of course it'd be uh, like not that he'd care but it's just funny that these people think that tagging an account that uh, like that happens to uh, be my dad will actually mean that he sees anything and but he doesn't even he he doesn't use Twitter at all like. Somebody runs that account for him. Anyway, so it's just funny. It's just funny that that's, that's what some people stoop to. But 
Yeah. Well, um, yeah, they're probably just imagining that you're being sent to your room back in Canada or something. <laughs> uh, but, but that's all I had. You can move on to the next part. It's a pleasure as always. Thank you for entertaining Thank my you, ridiculous guest. Thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. Okay. The- and Delio, if you're there, there's a mute button to unmute yourself. All right, here we go. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Oh, great. Thank you. Hi, uh, uh, Aaron. My name is Delio. Um, I'd like to ask you about uh, what you think, if anything, uh, of the Mexican president, AMLO, and what he's done in Mexico. Okay. Um, Well, you know, I don't follow uh, AMLO too closely, but what I've seen of him is that you know, he's in a very tough position because, you know, Mexico is very uh, vulnerable living, living, you know, being right, being right next to the U.S. and with all the influence of the U.S. and Mexico. And um, the cartels also are very powerful in Mexico and he has to manage that. And so I think within the constraints that he operates under, I think he's been pretty impressive, like trying to be as independent as possible while, while not being overthrown, which is like the kind of the dance you always have to engage in if you're a uh, South American leader um, or a, a Latin American leader um, because the U.S., with all of its influence and, and its powerful allies in, in the region, can easily overthrow you and, and destabilize you if it wants to. So I think AMLO in, in trying to, you know, he's called for peace in Ukraine. He's called for the freedom of Julian Assange. I'm impressed at what he's been able to do. And, and I, I know he's operating under difficult circumstances. It doesn't mean, of course, I'm, I'm sure he's made all kinds of policies I wouldn't agree with, but I think under the circumstances he's in, it seems to me like he's, he's, doing, he's doing a pretty good job within the constraints that he, that he operates under. Right. Did you know, you did you know that the, uh, he mentioned uh, Seymour Hersh's uh, piece mm. uh, on Ukraine? And I one of this uh, morning, yeah. And one of his morning uh, uh, press conferences. Okay. Yeah, which was interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't. And there we go. And so that speaks to the fact that he's, you know, um, the fact that he's willing to actually defy the U.S. I mean, that's that, that, that's hard to do. I mean, look how many people get overthrown or destabilized when they do that. You know, in Latin America. So. Yeah, him being willing to do that, I think, is very impressive. All right, uh, I'm going to have to go. I, I wish I could talk more, but uh, I'll get you next time. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Okay, Will. Uh, hey, I was um uh, about your um. This is what I'm talking about, but about your piece um, Al Qaeda is on our side. Um, that's actually a really good article. I send it to people all the time. Thank you. Um, but um, I was wondering what you think of um these these bills which are like um like the, which are being um pushed in the name of getting rid of TikTok because we know like the new thing about like um China is um that you know TikTok is very bad and um you know and because something I found interesting about that is that like um you know like we have Instagram we have Facebook and stuff but like they they use less. Um, they use, sorry, they have, like, more, collect, like, they have more data on people than they would, um, let's say, um, 
uh, TikTok, right? You know, like they're like a messenger as, as well as like um, a social platform, right? So like they have access to all your messages. Like everyone in my high school, they would use Instagram or yeah, Facebook yeah. Messenger to message each other. Um, you know, no one would do any such thing with TikTok. Mm. And, um, right, because all, all that it has really is just how you use TikTok. And they don't really have, they have a third party tracker, but like no one uses. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. And I found that particularly interesting because we're talking about China um, uh, wants everyone's data. And that's only, um, you know, what a bunch of middle schoolers have. You know, what, what TikToks are um, a middle schooler's watching, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, but I was wondering what you thought of the um, the, the Restrict Act and, um, you know, how that's going to be pushed in the future. And, like, yeah. well, like what, what you think it's going to be used for. Because, oh, like, not the Restrict Act necessarily, but all these – it's, like, one of the many bills I, that I believe. But, like, what do you think, like, that's going to be pushed for, right? Because um, we saw um, Patriot Act, right, and that was used for yeah. mass surveillance in the name of fighting terrorism. What's this, what yeah. do you think this is going to be used for in the name of um, getting rid of TikTok? Yeah, well, you know, I haven't looked into the Restrict Act too closely, but – just, just from what I've seen of the whole debate, I, I agree with everything you said. That this is, um, I mean, we already know about all the NSA surveillance of Americans. And with, yeah, and in the Snowden it, archive, that's only three yeah. percent of of what was of what happened. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So yet, no, yet none of these people had any outrage about that or tried to push any kind of meaningful legislation about that. Now TikTok comes along and basically. It won on the free market, which we're supposed to all worship. Like the free market is, you know, like the best product wins. And so in this case, look, this product won, and they can't stand that because it's from China. It's uh, not under U.S. control. And so they want to shut it down. And so the template I, will be basically be to go after, you know, use this kind of same template to basically shut down competition and only, and only you know, only allow in products when the U.S. can control them. And, well, you know, and but, I find this yeah. particularly interesting because if you see like a product like Microsoft Windows in China, right, yeah. they're completely fine with it, you know. And we know that um, exploits like Eternal Blue, like which is, I do you know what that is? No, I don't. Eternal Blue, it was an exploit because what happened is that Microsoft or or Apple or whatever they give the source code of their software to the NSA, right, just so they can comb through it, and so and the NSA. They looked through it and they secretly found these bugs, which they could use to exploit. And it, it um, when these bugs got released, um, I can't remember how they got released, but they got found. And the NSA knew about these and intentionally didn't tell Microsoft that they could exploit them. Someone else exploited them, and it was like the largest ransomware attack in history. Um, and this was intentional. And and you know every other country has had to deal with the US. Um, like fucking up, like the U.S. backdoors, like encryption and stuff, which which is a direct threat to these countries' security, and they've never ever complained about it or done anything about it. Um, and they've had to deal with it. And um, but but also you say TikTok is the free market wins. I would I would not necessarily agree with that on the basis that TikTok is um it's a very addictive app, and social yeah. media it's designed to be addictive, but it's not a good app, and I wouldn't be against regulating social media. Right to be under the pretext that it's not good for us or our or our personal yeah. health, not that not some anti-china campaign i 100 percent agree with that um i know plenty of parents who are really worried about tiktok and fair enough if if you want to restrict it on the grounds that it's not good for child development totally fair 
I think that's totally fair. Um, but to do, to do it on the grounds that this is some kind of national security threat is just ridiculous. And to me, it speaks to uh, just fostering a Cold War climate, which, of course, is something yeah. and, and, that and we don't want to support. Because, you know, like, um, it, it could easily, like, because children don't have good privacy. Like, every school you go to and stuff, they're using yeah. all these sorts of spying stuff that you have to use from, um, you know, like Google and stuff or Microsoft yep. or whatever. Rather, yep. But um, TikTok's not really the big issue as, as far as data goes. It collects the least of any massive social media app. Yep, yep. Well, I agree with everything you said, and thank you for the call. Okay, Mark. Hey, uh, Aaron. I just want—I just wanted to uh, call in and thank you for your journalism. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate. And uh, I mean, your uh, the Russia Gate, the Syria Duma stuff—it's all just fabulous. And there, you are a, a very rare breed. So I wanted to say that. And then the second thing I wanted to say is. You had mentioned that, was it uh, the head of the Joint Chiefs who said uh, we have to double the Pentagon budget? Yep. I just wanted to mention that, uh, you know, the budget they always talk about is just the Pentagon budget, which is $850 billion or whatever it is. Yep. But that's not, you know, all, for example, all nuclear activity, like the trillion dollars we're spending over a 10-year period to upgrade our nuclear capabilities. That's right. That That's all Department of Energy. That's a different budget. And all of the black budget stuff, you know, someone let it slip back in early, maybe 2001 or something, that it was $29 billion for the CIA. But since then, they, they took on the whole drone program. I mean, the budget for the CIA and NSA and all of these black budgets has to be tremendous. And then you add in, uh, the, for example, the VA, right? That's the cost of, of health care for our soldiers. And uh, finally, the interest on the debt that we go into to fight these wars, once you add all this in together, we, we're spending more than the rest of the world combined on uh, militarism and uh, maintaining our military power so we can be the biggest bully in the schoolyard. I fully agree. And you're right. The the Pentagon budget, as gargantuan as it is, understates the case because there is, you know, you know for example, going to war in Iraq or, or Afghanistan all the money there is completely, is outside the Pentagon budget. So that that's also right, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And who knows? And as you say, who knows actually how much the CIA spent? I'd love to know, for example, how much the CIA spent on the dirty war in Syria. Um, the Washington Post reported, according to leaks from uh, Edward Snowden, that uh, the CIA was spending one dollar out of every fifteen dollars in the Pen- in the CIA's budget on the, the dirty war in Syria. That's a lot of money. That's <laughs> a lot of money. Right. Uh, and maybe one day, I mean, maybe one day, future generations after we're all, after we're all, after we are all gone, we'll, we'll find out the full story there. Uh, thank you, Mark, for the call. No, okay, Johnny. Hello. Hi there. Hi, Aaron. I got a question for you. Uh, you call a couple of, I'd say maybe six weeks ago, uh, Putin uh, went on national TV in, in Russia 
and uh, see if you remember the story. He basically said, I think it was right around the time that he felt like the sanctions were going to hit him, you know, and he's uh -huh. kind of worried. And he, he told the oligarchs they had raped the country, took their money and fled. He told them, hey, you can come back. You can come back thinking that, you know, he's going to get a 25% hit in GDP. And then right. he said, and then he said something to the effect like, like it's okay with me. You got to behave yourself, but I don't know how 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 these other people how how the the people are going to react to you. But uh, and then he said, correct me if I'm wrong here. He said, uh, but here in Russia, we don't let rich people run our country. Is that what he said? I didn't catch that, so I couldn't tell you. So maybe not that part, but he did say. Hey, you can come back, and I don't know if uh, if the people will accept you. You remember that, right? I don't actually. I don't. Okay. I uh, don't. Here's a question. Another yeah. one. Sanctions. Uh, why was it? You know, when when the United States government, uh, you know, our politicians, politicians decided to go to war with Russia, one of the tactics they used was to sanction them, right? And do you recall the reasoning for? what the tactic and what it was supposed to accomplish and what they're trying to do when they wanted to sanction Russia? Well, the sanctions were planned for a long time leading up to the war in Ukraine. Obviously, they wanted to collapse the Russian economy and hope that that would destabilize Russia sufficiently to overthrow Putin. Um, you know, they were because even before Russia invaded, there was so much talk and excitement about all the sanctions that would be imposed if Russia invaded. And then, you know, when, when Russia invaded, you know, they rolled, they froze Russia's foreign reserves. And, you know, Biden was bragging about how, you know, the ruble is going to become rubble. And, it, you know, Russia took a hit, but it didn't take the kind of hit that all these people were anticipating. I think their goal was, you know, as Biden said uh, over a year ago now, he said this man cannot remain in power. And they were trying to use their sanctions to bring about that outcome, which didn't work. Yeah. So so the. The government, the United States government, saw fit to create an economic uh, uh, an economic uh, crisis in another country in order to what uh, spread neoliberalism. Do you think? I think um, uh, yeah. I mean, look, Russia is a huge country. It's massive, like geographically. Mm -hmm. It has nuclear weapons, and as it showed in Syria it can be a deterrent to U.S. hegemony. Like, right. the U.S. lost, or I shouldn't say it lost, it didn't win in Syria because Russia came in and stopped, you know, the U.S.-backed Contras from advancing and overthrowing Assad. And so um, any kind of deterrent to U.S. hegemony has to be taken out. That's just kind of the rule. Kind of like the same way that like a, like a godfather, like a, like a mafia don will rule over... Yeah. Their territory, any kind of curb on their authority or their their power will have to be taken out. So okay. I, I, think, I think the world works in a very similar way. Here's another question, real quick, because I know you got a couple more callers, and we'll take. Uh, if you if you want to describe or how do you call it, characterize what the United States is doing, would you characterize it as empire or as pushing a neoliberal ideology? Which of the two, if any, or well, why not both? Why not both? Yeah, I mean, I, I do okay. think, I mean, I don't use the term empire because it, I don't know, I just, whatever, I, for whatever reason, I just don't. But I, I do think it's accurate. It is an empire. Um, and it's a neoliberal empire. So. Um, all right. So having, having said all those things, Eric, yeah. I'd like to, if I may, 
This will only take a little over three minutes. And I was asked to do this, and I feel compelled to do it. At the end of it, just three minutes. I want to ask two rhetorical questions. Johnny, Johnny, listen, I'm not going to give you three minutes. Sorry. Uh, okay, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. All right. That's fine. Yeah, but maybe, but maybe if you want to take if, if, you, if, you want, if you want to take thirty seconds, you can go ahead. But yeah, but, yeah, yeah. it'd take more than thirty seconds. Okay, so I guess yeah. I guess I exhausted my time. Maybe okay. Well, thanks Thank for the you. call. Okay. Yeah. Goodbye. All right, uh, Ben. Oh, okay. I see. Right now, we have a glitch in the app. Where the previous caller is still on. This happens oh, let sometimes. Me... Yeah. There you go. Thank you. Okay. Uh, ben, are you there? And Ben, if you're there, you want to unmute yourself by pressing the button in the bottom left. That's where it should be. And I'll give you a few more seconds. And if not, I'll move on to Tyler and Ben. There's plenty of time left, so you can come back in the queue if you want to try again. Okay, Tyler. Hey, Aaron. How are you? Hi there. Hey, Aaron. Um, I'll just quick comment before I ask my question. Uh, you know, in the age of like non-mainstream media splits being possibly fake or, or too theatrical, hyperbolic, you've always been like the steady Eddie that. Um, can listen to and always feel uh, can trust what you're saying because you're very factual and you're very even skilled. So just wanted to tell you that. Well, thank um, you. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, you totally earned it. And we're super proud of you. Uh, the UN the other day and everything else um, and Vancouver's proud of you. My question is, you're probably not gonna, you don't like these big overall questions, but um, the I wonder where, what's the end game for the, powers that the that basically control the media, control everything. Everyone on this channel knows. Um, like how is that gonna break down? Is it like the henchmen are just gonna stop censoring or um, the generation of different Rothschilds being as evil or how it is because they we know that they have total control on media. Any any person who gets to be too big to where they make too much impact will get shut down. Um, they got tips on everybody, and that's getting worse. So, in your head, like, how how did the how do things how do we get justice? And how does justice come back to the world after all this business? I mean, that's a very big question. <laughs> I know, but yeah, you're, yeah. I I want to know what's in your head about this because you know protests aren't working. Like the um the the protest in uh, Washington, like you know, it was lots of big big names, but. A, turnout so that was a big I know I know right? I know um look uh you know I I just I I don't think about outcomes like that I just think about um uh principles and trying to uphold them while we're here because if you're tethered to outcomes you're going to I think be very disappointed because in many cases, there there never is any justice. You know, uh, there's no justice certainly in the U.S. I mean, look what's happening to Julian Assange right now. How they can just torture him for so long, and I mean, all these people have committed all these unspeakable crimes, speak at fancy events, and live in nice homes, and have all the luxuries in the world. So it's um, 
I don't tether anything I do to any kind of outcome of, of, uh, justice. You know, I just have to stick to the principles that I hold and, and try to implement them, you know? Um, certainly, I mean, look on the media front, which I, I, I think you're asking about a little bit, there is justice in the sense that look how few people now trust the establishment media compared to at least compared to even like 10 years ago, you know? So people are thinking for themselves, I think more and more, and there's some justice there. There's some justice, I think, in um, the growing popularity of independent media. I mean, that that to me is a form of justice. So we have to, you know, uh, look for any positive signs that we can. And, and to me, that's one of them. Now, of course, I'm biased there because it benefits me that I get to be able to do what I do, partly because people don't trust the establishment like they used to, you know. But um, to me, like, it's all part of the process of just, sticking to principles and trying to apply them and, and hoping for the best. That's great. Thank you so much, Aaron. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Tyler. Okay. Uh, Lydia. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Mm You know, um, as I was saying to a previous caller earlier, I don't follow Mexico too closely, but I do think in general that's a very safe bet, that whenever you start seeing a Global South leader being demonized by the U.S. and uh, and talk about military interventions for whatever reason, that's likely the result of them becoming too independent. And in the case of AMLO, yeah, as you say, he challenges the blockade of Cuba. Uh, he challenges the persecution of Julian Assange. He's questioned the proxy war in Ukraine. Uh, a previous caller said that he was promoting the reporting of Seymour Hersh about the Nord Stream bombing. And yeah, so, yeah, whenever you, you know, like like Jean-Bertrand Aristide, who was the uh, first democratically elected president of Haiti, overthrown in two U.S.-backed coups. The first one in 1990 or 1991, the second one in 2004. And uh, both, I mean, like, what does the U.S. care if Haiti is developing its own policies on like rice farming and, and, and like paying its workers a little bit more. Uh, but they care because they just can't allow anyone to be independent, even if it's like the poorest countries in the hemisphere uh, who are, of course, zero threat to anyone. Um, and so I, I, I would not be surprised at all for seeing a similar dynamic now in Mexico that, you know, the card in so far, like, the, you know, now you're seeing like a lot of Republicans call for more of a military role inside of Mexico 
And would they be saying the same thing if they had a like a a uh, a subservient president of Mexico right now rather than AMLO? I, I strongly doubt it. Yeah, I have um, friends with family members in the National Guard, and they're being moved to the border of Mexico. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, interesting. And on Haiti, I, you know, they were the only successful slave revolution. And so That's I think right. the U.S. and um, France have been punishing them ever since. I agree. I agree. I mean, you know, the history, um, Haiti was paying, rep, quote unquote, reparations to France up until the Second World War mm -hmm. uh, because Haiti became free of French colonialism and France basically imposed on Haiti these terms where France got, like, got to loot Haiti uh, even years after it became free of, of, of French colonialists. So, yeah. yeah just and, like the colonial yeah. tax in a lot of countries in Africa. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I, I think slash it's... Slash question. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Um, you know, the journalist that was taken into custody in Russia, I just find it so almost laughable considering what we've done to Assange mm -hmm. and how, you know, everyone in the U.S. is, you know, it's again, Russia, the big bad guy and so much projection. And, you know, we've seen this time and time again about when people get taken into custody in Russia how it's always this big freak out here while we're doing the same thing, if not worse. Yes. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I totally agree. Uh, the persecution of Assange is such a crime and yet no one talks about it. And then when someone else does, you know, something similar, arresting a journalist, there's a massive freak out and it's just no, no one pauses for a second to think about the optics of caging Assange for the crime of publishing facts while meanwhile expressing outrage about a journalist being in prison elsewhere. Uh, I mean, everything I've seen about this Wall Street Journal reporter, I mean, it looks like a ridiculous case brought by Russia for political reasons. They're trying to use him as a pawn, basically, to, um, I, I don't know, maybe get prisoners who, like, who are being held by the U.S., but it's, it's ridiculous. But certainly, like, it's, the hypocrisy is just off the charts, and uh, it's allowed to... It, it's only allowed really to happen because our media does such a poor job here of covering Julian Assange. They just ignore him. And when they do talk about him, often so many times he's demonized. Like just last week, there was a review in the New York Times of a new documentary about Assange's family. The movie's called Ithaca. And mm -hmm. the review in the Times was so, it was just like, it was so Orwellian. There were all these mistakes and it just was so dismissive of Assange and his family and repeated all these lies about him. And that's like, that's very, par it's very par for the course, but this is supposed to be in like a liberal enlightened publication standard bearer, like the New York times, but that's where yeah. our media is. Liberal enlightened. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you, Lydia, for the call. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Keep up the good work. Thank you. I appreciate that. Hello, William. Hey, Aaron, can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Hey, I just want to pick up where I left off. Do you recall me telling you I had put a, I'm trying to have some trouble with the putting things in the chat today, but in the past I put in the thank you letter from Letitia James I got for assisting in her investigation on the sexual assault of minors and young adults in nonprofit institutions. Do you recall this call? I've talked to you before. 
I, I do recall this, yes. Okay. So I just wanted to qualify that because for some reason I'm having trouble with the app right now. And the other thing is I mentioned the the other problem we have into probate courts of the movie Care I Care A Lot was made that I talked to Katie about, where actually the DOJ did indict and convict the CPA, court-appointed accountant in my father's probate matter, but no judges went to jail or any or, or any attorneys. And then Trump fired Deidre. The head of the task force on corruption in Connecticut. We, Aaron, it was so, the reason I'm calling is I'm trying to get some reporters. The Connecticut Post, the, the Hearst organization, they won't do anything. You know, we've got the issue with the church and trying to still protect kids because what they do now is they just pay off the victims. The victory for them is silence. And that's cited uh, by uh, Patrick Wall, who was a former priest, who's one of the co-authors of the book Sex, Priests, and the Secret Codes, a 2,000-year paper trail, where he was on the firefight team to pay off the parents and the victims so no criminal charges are brought. So it's not like the problem's gone away. You see what I mean? And and all I'm trying to do is, like, Joe Rogan will I put out something, you know, about the church, how it's a bunch of stolen art and pedophiles, and where's the outrage? But where's the follow-up? You know, I'm hoping you can talk to somebody else, can talk to somebody else, and we really start to nail the church for what they've done and their canon laws that's still in place today, Aaron, called Crimean solicitations, which they use to protect their own... And you can find that online, and I'll try and yeah. – I'm having trouble with the links, but yeah. getting them into your – you know. Right. But, the, but see, it's still on the books, and by the by by our federal court statutes, our, our federal case laws, if somebody is an assessor or an accomplice, you know, by – William, yes. I, I really appreciate your, your passion for this topic. I, I know it's informed by um, a lot of – uh, personal experience, and, and I really appreciate all the efforts you make. I, I, to be honest with you, I, I, I have my hands full right now with all the stories I'm working on. So, okay, just to be honest, I, I can't take another story on, but I agree. With you. I really appreciate you educating us about it because a lot of the stuff you've shared, you know, here before, I, I didn't know about. So, I really, I really appreciate you sharing it, and um, I, I encourage you to keep pursuing it. I just have to be honest with you. I, no, no, I appreciate that you can do it, but you know, people have friends and maybe some you could talk. Jimmy Dory has talked about it occasionally, but, um, he doesn't do calling anymore. Um, uh, you know, you, you guys have friends and maybe there's somebody else in the biz that, uh, it, I understand it's the third rail too. Let's be honest. But, but honestly, it it's, you know. it shouldn't be. It's so, it's so, it's such a unbelievable scandal that we're It is. Yeah. And, and, uh, William, so thank you for the call as always. It's good to hear from you. Okay, Paula. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, my God. I'm 66, so all this stuff is so cool. A couple of things I wanted to ask you about, Erin, and I am just like other callers, just love your work. I don't really understand um, why you don't like democracy now or you're a little critical of it, and that's fine. I think your work is super more interesting, but I will say for old people, there is a place for democracy now. So I'll just say that's my point of view. But here's what I want to ask you about. Don't you think it's so weird that Twitter is this like worldwide conveyor of communication and nobody questions the fact that it's owned by one person and there's no competition there? And I mean, I'm not a 
I'm not a huge fan of capitalism, don't get me wrong, but if there was only the New York Times for the whole world, it would be horrible. So I don't really, again, I think it's an age thing. I don't really understand why Twitter exists the way it exists. And I wondered if you thought there was a better way to be doing things like Twitter. Well, look, I, you know, I'm biased because I like Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> you talk about it a lot. You, t- yeah, you mentioned I, I, I do. I, I like it. it. It works for me. I um, no, I probably I probably wasted too much time on it, but um, I mean, but is it look, problematic that it's of course a, a monopoly? Sure, of course it is. Of course it is. Okay, but why? I don't understand that part. Why is that problematic? Well, I, mean, I feel it's, like it is. I mean, it's an intuition. You know, I mean, insofar as you see, you know, public spaces as some, things that are in the common good, you know, uh, right. ways to communicate, why should they be owned by one super unbelievably insane wealthy person? It just right. and, and by the way, why, why does it take, why do we need to rely on one wealthy person to allow some free speech? Because it's true under Elon Musk, I think there's been more free speech on Twitter than there was before. Um, and but right. why, do we need to, why do we need to rely on one person to bring us that? So, but that but, speaks to, but could there be more than one Twitter? I, I just well, I mean, look, there, people have tried. It. People have tried. There's there's Trump's oh. Truth Social, and there's that's uh, true. There's Mastodon, or whatever it's called, um, oh. Oh. which oh. people have gone to in protest of Twitter. Uh, but you know, it's just look. Uh, maybe sometimes you just only need one thing. I think, and, and you um, know what? It might be organic. If it starts starts to not work, you all will find another way to do it. So that's yeah. that's good thinking. Great. Well, thanks. Yeah. That's all I was thinking about. And thanks for a great show. Thank you. Thanks. Um, okay. Uh, Amanda. Hi, Aaron. Hi there. I'm. I put a link in the chat. So I'm. I'm a serial podcast listener. I listen to so many, and I'm so glad that pushback comes out now through my feed and on my podcast because I really like listening to it. Like most of the people, I trust your reporting. But I saw this particular one. It's called The Gray Area. And it's about um, the title of it is Brian Steltzer Thinks the News Has a Reliability Problem. So I just thought of you and Katie and it's Sunday. So you're probably (laughs) knee deep in this Brian Steltzer stuff. But I just thought I'd recommend it. I stuck it in the Well, chat. for all time's sake, for all time's sake, yes, because Brian Seltzer is no longer with us on the Sunday right. shows. Right. So, yes, uh, I, I don't think if I'll listen missing. to it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the option, though. Thanks for thinking of me. <laughs> Absolutely, Aaron. Yeah. Have a great week. You too. And, you know, I, I didn't answer Paula's first question. Let me do that now. Okay. Um, she asked me why I criticize democracy now. Um, I do because I think it's, not living up to what its actual spirit is. And I, I, I know it because I worked there for 10 years. And I, I really believe in democracy now for what, it, what, I, what I felt it once stood for pretty unequivocally. And it's a place I learned a lot from. Um, I don't know where I'd be right now if not for democracy now. So I'm very grateful to it. But in the years since I'm, I've left, I just have to point out that on certain issues, and I, I really take pains to say this, on certain issues, not every issue, um, so on domestic politics, I think it's great. On Israel-Palestine, I think it's great. But on certain issues, certain issues, it's become to me unrecognizable. It's become a parody of what it used to be. And it bought into all these propaganda narratives that it used to challenge. Um, 
And that's what I pointed out. So that's the extent of my criticism. Not that it's become totally corrupt and it's irredeemable, but just that it's it's strayed from, I think, its noble tradition. And um, propaganda that it used to, I think, challenge, it now reinforces. And the examples, I think, are that are most, pr- most pronounced are in things like Russiagate, the Ukraine proxy war, the Syria dirty war, where it's honestly, it's been just pretty much indistinguishable from the State Department. It's just been horrible on Syria. Um, you know, for example, like look at my story, the OPCW leaks. Big scandal at the OPCW, you know, the organization's own inspectors accused their bosses of a cover-up. Their findings show no evidence of a chemical attack in Syria. That allegation of a chemical attack in Syria was used to justify bombing Syria and imposing sanctions on it. And democracy now has totally ignored that story. And the one time they covered it, they brought on this guy named Brian Whitaker, who's a former uh, journalist at The Guardian, who completely whitewashed the scandal. And he later on doxed one of the whistleblowers. And, and you know, meanwhile, you know, like I'm one of their former longtime employees and I've done a lot of work on it and they've just totally ignored it. And that's whatever, you know, I don't want to get into why they've done that personally, to you know, in, in relation to me, but it just speaks to how it's like I, before when I was there, it was all about championing. It was all about breaking the sound barrier, um, being the exception to the rulers. We love whistleblowers. We don't shun them and and try to and t- try to minimize them. So that is why um, I'm critical now of democracy now. And, and and it's just on certain issues. Thankfully, not everything, but on certain issues, I think it's totally strayed from its mission. And I'm far from alone in thinking that. And you can see how they've done that by so. There's so many longtime guests who are on DN that are now no longer welcome. And I just think that part of it is very sad. So that's the extent of my critique. Not that it's still not great on some issues, because it is. Um, and there are good people there um, working there still. But it's just on certain issues, I think it's very strayed from its mission and, and its legacy. Um, all right. Well, I see we have people in the chat have already called in. So I'm going to go to Marco, who hasn't, called in yet. So go ahead, Marco. Hey, Aaron. Uh, big fan. I've talked to you before. You know how Jimmy has that like little video before he starts his show where it talks about him and it's like a, it's like that edited intro? Uh-huh. I think you should have one, but I think it should be a supercut of Jimmy calling you a, a polite Canadian. <laughs> okay. okay. But I think you should have some kind of intro in general. That's That was my only comment. Thanks so much. Okay, thanks. Thanks. I appreciate the advice. Um, all right. Well, listen, we're going to wrap it there. Uh, and uh, thanks to everybody who called in today and who tuned in just to listen. I appreciate you spending some time with me. And I'll see you next time. Have a great rest of your weekend. Bye, everybody.